0: It's great to see so many of you today. Uh, today we have a little extra in in between us because it's the fifth Sunday and so we have our children, our church school worshipping along uh, with us. Uh, we have activity packs for them. So kids or any of the koko, jeje around you, if any of the children don't have activity packs, and you need one, please just raise your hand, Uh, then the teachers can pass to you, okay? Okay, come, let's pray. Lord, we pray that you will lead and guide us through a difficult passage. We pray, Father, that the truth of your word will come forth. We pray that even in our difficulties with the text, that Lord, you will minister to us. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, how many of you are familiar with the TV genre known as true crime? Noah, don't know. Okay, basically, what it is, it's documentaries or uh, dramatizations that are based on true stories of crimes that actually happen. Okay, so for example, our Malaysian version is... Do, do you guys know this? Any of you watch TV3 during the 90s? I think this was like Saturdays or something like that. Uh, it's called Kesa bana um, And so... They they would show uh, true cases based on true stories, and then they will like reenact. They'll get actors to come in, and then they'll, oh, this is what happened. And then I remember I was just a kid when this was airing, but some episodes were very, uh, how to say, traumatizing. <laughs> so I remember being traumatized uh, by some of these episodes, lah. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, this this is a genre known as true crime. Uh, there's a YouTube channel that I follow uh, that covers true crime cases, uh, but it has a very chill vibe. Okay, because this guy he he surrounds his case, uh, the presentations of the, his cases with a coffee house theme. Okay, so even though the cases are very disturbing, right, and they are you know stressful to, to listen to and follow, but the coffee house theme, the the atmosphere is calming and disarming. So it's sort of like you know, compliments each other. But in many of the cases that he covers, they're often crimes of passion, uh, crimes of opportunity. And so it's usually uh, somebody who uh, doesn't, doesn't like plan to commit these crimes, but they lose control or they take advantage of a situation and they commit the crime. And these cases are uh, usually presented to, to include what happens not just what is the crime, but also what happened to the perpetrators? You know whether they were caught, whether they were convicted, whether they were sentenced. And many of these cases will he also present the side of the family. You know those who are affected by it. Uh, the, the perspective of the families, how they deal with how they deal with grief, uh, how they sought justice, how some of them they, they champion for greater awareness of that. To, to prevent that crime from happening again to others uh, or, or even uh, what were the mistakes that the, the investigators made so that there can be reformed you know uh, among the police in the area, or some some of the families even extended forgiveness to the perpetrator, usually these are the Christian families huh? but what struck me in all these cases is that whatever happens after the crime, whether it is justice, whether there is closure, whether there is forgiveness and so on, it does not magically erase the pain and the grief that the families go through. And so even those who chose to forgive the ones who shattered their family, it didn't just remove their pain, they forgave in spite of their pain. And so that brings me to the big idea for our message today that sin can have messy, long-lasting, and far-reaching consequences. Okay, so if you forget everything, just remember this takeaway. Sin can have messy, long-lasting, and far-reaching consequences. Today uh, today might be a a difficult message for some of us, uh, not just as those who might have been hurt by the sin of others, but also by by those who might have hurt others with our own sin. And my prayer to you is that you, although this might be a difficult topic, uh, you would be open to the work of the Holy Spirit to not only bring healing and redemption, but also to look at all that has happened in the shadow of the cross to contextualise the pain, the shame in light of the gospel and look at what God has to say about your situation. Okay? Not, not yesterday, but today. Okay? What does the gospel have to say about uh, either what you have gone through or what you have done in the past to somebody else or whatever. Okay? Now let's look at our passage today. A quick recap for those of us who haven't been following our, our sermon series. We're going through 2 Samuel. And uh, we are mainly looking at the life of David, right? Uh, the man after God's own heart. And two weeks ago, we saw how this man, after God's own heart, gave in to temptation. He sinned with Bathsheba, and he tried to cover up his sin with more sin until he, he ended up uh, ordering her husband, Uriah, uh, to become a casualty in battle, Okay. Last week, Brother Chongjin brought us through David's sin being confronted by the prophet Nathan, followed by David's repentance, David's restoration from sin, at least before God. However, the price for his sin still had to be paid. So, the death of Bathsheba's first child, that was the first consequence of his sin. But that is not all. Look at what Nathan tells David in uh, chapter 12. He says, The sword will never depart from your house because you despise me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. So even though David had defeated the Philistines, and the the surrounding nations that had posed such a big threat to Israel for so long, the sword would never depart from his house. Think about what that means. It means that he would not experience rest from conflict and battle and war. And in this case, the sword would not depart from his house, meaning that within his family, there will be conflict. And violence, and so today's passage in chapter 13 is an immediate fulfilment of this prophecy. So the first prophecy that there'll be conflict, violence in his house. The second prophecy about the one who is close to him sleeping with his wives in broad daylight, this is fulfilled later in chapter 16 by Absalom, his own son. Okay, but you know, we'll come to that. Lah. So even though David had repented, He had humbled himself, he had returned to the heart of worship, the consequences of his sin still remained. David's failure didn't define him for the rest of his life. He would be remembered as the man after God's own heart, but his sin gives birth to a legacy of family dysfunction. So today I'd like us to look at uh, the characters of today's passage in chapter 13 and what we can learn from each of them. First, Amnon. This guy uh, is an actor, so that's why he's so langjai. <laughs> but uh, basically, Amnon is the, the firstborn son of David. Okay, So meaning, he is in line to inherit the crown, to take the throne after David uh, is no longer fit to rule lah, or, or passes on. And so maybe because he was the firstborn, it seems like he was quite pampered and spoiled. Uh, I mean, you, you think about it, uh, uh, verse 6 in chapter 13 says, uh, he, he lay down, he pretended to be ill, and then the king came to see him, and then Amnon says, I, I want my sister to come uh, make bread for me so I can eat from her hand. So think about it. The, 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 he, he's supposed to be in his mid to late 20s at this time. He's supposed to be like 25 to 27 years old, okay? Uh, and, and he acts manja with the king and he asks for Tema to, to make special bread to feed him by hand and that is what David does, okay? David uh, does what he wants. And so it's very likely that Amnon is a guy who is used to getting what he wants. And even though the word Love is used to describe how he feels for for Tamar, his half sister. It is not love, all right. At least it's not a love as defined by God. Okay, it's not a godly love. It is infatuation. It is lust. It is obsession. It's not love. Uh, you just look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4-7. to 7. We know this very famous passage that describes, defines what love is like. Patient, kind, uh, does not envy, does not boast, not proud, does not dishonor others, not self-seeking, uh, and so on. Eh? You look at these words, it's almost the exact opposite of what Amnon does to Tamar. And so, Amnon doesn't love Tamar. He's used to getting what he wants and so he takes it for he, he takes what he wants okay And after he takes what he wants verse 15 says that he hated her Now if Amnon had a psychotherapist he would probably suggest to Amnon that you know you're, you're projecting you know you're projecting your your own hatred your your own revulsion for yourself onto Tema. because I'm sure after that, that crime of passion, Amnon would have felt that, eh, uh, I, I just hate myself for doing this, right? In any case, he does not just abuse Tema, he is unrepentant about it. And he does not care about the hurt and the disgrace that he caused her. Now, important for some context Leviticus 20, verse 17. Uh, which is part of the Old Testament law, says that if a man marries his sister, the daughter of either his father or his mother, meaning if he marries his half-sister and they have sexual relations, is a disgrace. They are to be publicly removed from their people. As he has dishonored his sister, will be held responsible. This is within the context of possible consent. Okay? So even if there was consent, uh, it, it was forbidden for, for brothers to marry their half-sisters. Although that was not uncommon in neighbouring countries during that time. Okay, that, that is the context. But within Israel, this is unacceptable, as Temah says. Such a thing has not been done in Israel, right? And so, Amnon goes ahead and he, he, he completely uh, disregards this, this law. Okay. Amnon also receives bad advice and this brings us to our second character for today who is Jonadab. He's not a very big significant character so cannot find a Leng Chai picture of him uh, but Jonadab is Amnon's cousin okay? and he also functions as his advisor. Uh, and so Jonadab notices that Amnon's obsession with Tema is causing him anguish. So, it, the, the, the common word for it is love right? Uh, or, or rather, infatuation. Lah. And so, when, when he, he asks Amnon, what, what's happening? Why are you so like that? Uh, Amnon reveals what he's feeling, why he is in so much anguish, and Jonadab gives him bad advice. He tells him, okay, this is what you do in order to get her alone with you. Now, what Jonadab is doing here is he is being an enabler for Amnon. He knows very well what Amnon wants is not right. He is the advisor. Huh? And it is not good for him. And yet he counsels him on how to get it. Either that, so either he knowingly is counseling Amnon to do what is not right, or his values are worldly and he is basing his advice and his counsel on what the surrounding nations are doing. And so in, in which case he's, he's no different from the surrounding nations, he's not holy. So sometimes, so, so the lesson we can learn from Jonadab is that sometimes we might find ourselves in a situation where people seek our opinion or our advice. But even though that person is responsible for the decision that they make, we too are responsible for our part in it And so if we offer and and we persuade in in a way that is not right or not good, uh, we are also responsible. Uh, Hebrews 4.13 tells us nothing is hidden from God's sight, everything we must give an account to God. And so we are accountable to God whether we are using whatever influence we have with a friend or relative or colleague uh, for good or for bad, so we need to be careful to to counsel not according to worldly values or what is most convenient or what is easiest, but according to what we know. God teaches from the word, okay? Godly values. And if you are seeking advice from somebody, please be wise. <laughs> please be discerning. Okay, check whether the advice you receive is consistent with God's will and God's ways. You don't just think, oh, somebody is older than me, somebody is more experienced than me, uh, somebody looks like they, they have a more successful life, so I should listen to whatever they say. Always check against the Word of God. Let's move on. Third character, the tragic victim of this story. Uh, Tema did nothing to deserve how Amnon treated her. One very common thing that happens to, to people in, in her situation uh, is they end up blaming themselves. They end up trying to, to analyze and think, how could I prevent this? I must be at fault. But from what is told to us in the entire of uh, chapter 13, Tema had zero blame. Okay? She did not earn anything. And so, uh, for example, 12 to 13 shows us she clearly rejects him. She says no. She tries to reason with him. Uh, she, she highlights the disgrace it will bring on her. She highlights the disgrace it will bring on him that he would be one of the wicked fools in Israel. Uh, and also, in, in a desperate attempt to dissuade him, she even suggests that he speaks to the king to approve of their marriage, which may have happened because of the surrounding nations however, but you know, probably not lah, but she was desperate so even though Amnon's uh, abuse of Tema is horrible on its own it had even greater implications for Tema within that context, that time, that place, that culture unmarried daughters of that time and culture, they would remain in their father's homes separated from men uh, until they married to maintain their purity, and if they were unmarried, and they were found to have relations with a the man, then that man was compelled to marry her because he had defiled her. Okay, so th- this is with consent, huh? uh, and so this is why she says that that sending her away because after Amnon, uh, he 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 hated her. He said, go, go away, uh, get out of my side. Uh, she says sending her away would be a greater wrong because Amnon was refusing to take responsibility for what he had done. And so this left her with even greater shame and dishonor within her culture. So Tema is distraught, uh, her full brother Absalom sees her, he knows what has happened because she tore the rope uh, that she was wearing. They identified her as a daughter who had not been with any man. And so Absalom is her go-go and he says, You know, it's okay. He comforts her. It seems like he tells her to keep quiet about it, not to, you know, try and pretend nothing happened, but to protect her from the disgrace and stigma of what happened. Okay, so not. For us to emulate, okay, something like this happens, it should uh, not just be silenced. But Tamar is a victim of the sin of another. Now, earlier when we looked at Amnon, some of us may identify with him, and in which case, uh, we look to God, we look to Jesus for forgiveness, right, and redemption. uh, We we own up to whatever we may have done and uh, we we pay the consequences of our sin. But some of us may have experienced these hurts and pains caused by others. And so it might be like this passage, physical abuse. It might be emotional abuse. It might be a betrayal by a friend or a, a loved one. And... I'm sure many of us have experienced hurts in some way from from others. uh. And it is important that if we have experienced these hurts and pains caused by the sins of others, that we ask for God's healing from these wounds. It may have happened long ago, we may think it's nothing now, but uh, it's important that we still ask God for healing because sometimes these wounds can be so deep that they affect all areas of our lives and we are not aware of it, especially Uh, beyond the physical injury uh, our minds our emotions our sense of security our sense of self worth our confidence all these things can be greatly affected by trauma and grief but God promises that He can bring healing perhaps quickly for some some may take longer Sometimes, He heals not even in the way that we expect in the way that we ask for. But He is the only one who can promise healing in the way that we need. So, we need to look to Him for relief, comfort, peace, restoration. You might say, yeah, very easy for you to, to uh, talk about healing, ask for healing. But you don't know what I've gone through. You don't understand And you are right. I I probably don't understand. But I know Jesus does. Jesus was betrayed. He was abandoned by those closest to him. He was severely abused by those in authority, not just mental, emotional, physical uh, abuse. He died a torturous death, and all of that was unjust. He didn't do anything to deserve it, right? Right? Completely unfair for him to go through all that. But he did. So if you're feeling alone in your pain, at the very least, know that Jesus can identify with you. So go and pour out your pain to him. He understands perfectly. Let's move on to our next character. Absalom. Again, Langjaya. Uh, Absalom is Tamar's older brother. Uh, and according to, to uh, biblical scholars, in the culture of that day, whenever the father has multiple wives, so like David, uh, he had multiple wives, uh, the girls of the family would come under the protection, the care and protection of the brother who is related by blood. Okay, so in, in this case, Tema is not... Uh, the the primary responsibility of protecting and caring and and, uh, guarding her honour and all that is not the father uh, in that culture, but it is the brother, the the brother who is by the same mother, okay? And so Tema's violation directly affected Absalom because he was responsible for her and her honour in that culture. But... Absalom kept quiet. He didn't say anything. He nursed a hatred for Absalom, uh, for Amnon. Sorry, and so he is. A- Absalom is is a, a picture of somebody who swallows their their anger and just doesn't deal with it. Doesn't doesn't face it at that point. He, okay, I keep this as a as a secret hatred. And he would bide his time before hatching a plan to have Amnon killed two years later. Now this is clearly an act of vengeance. It is one that is carefully planned. After Amnon is killed, Absalom goes into exile because he's responsible for assassinating the crown prince who is next in line for the throne. Uh, And we'll see more about Absalom in the coming weeks. But for now, we can see that even though it was not wrong for Absalom to, to be angry at the injustice uh, that happened to Tamar, what he chose to do with this anger was not right. He did not express it, he did not address it in the right way. Firstly, there was deceit. Okay? He, he doesn't say anything to Amnon, meaning he's probably pretending he doesn't know about it or doesn't care about it. Okay? Secondly, there's hate and unforgiveness that he, he is allowing to fester within him. And lastly, he acts on it. He murders his own family. Now, the Bible is clear on the subject of revenge. Despite what John Wick and so many movie protagonists are driven by, revenge is never right. Okay, res- uh, as, as a re- response to injustice, these movies will say, oh yeah, finally it got his revenge, but it's never ever the right response to injustice. In the Old Testament, it mentions eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but as I think I, I mentioned in one of our, our earlier sermons, this law wasn't demanding revenge. It, instead, it was limiting how much somebody could do to somebody who was wronged to make sure that their attempt to equalize things didn't go beyond what was done to them in the first place. But even then, Jesus teaches His followers to go beyond that. He teaches His followers not to grab justice for themselves by retaliating, even if it is proportionate retaliation. And Paul tells us why in Romans chapter 12. He says do not repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone if it's possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath for it's written, it is written is mine to avenge I will repay says the lord on the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him something to drink in doing this you heap burning coals on his head do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. And so what this means is we don't stoop to the level of others. We trust the Lord of justice to do justice. And He will do justice. He he, he cannot not do justice. That is His character. That is who He is. He cannot be unjust. So we need to trust God. So this is really an issue of faith that we trust and believe that God is who he says he is, a God of justice, and that he will make justice happen, even if we don't take it into our own hands. And so does this mean that we wait for an, we, we wait with expectation and we look forward, okay, I don't, take, I don't take revenge, I wait for something bad to happen to them, <laughs> wait for them to get into a horrible accident, uh, then God is avenging me. Do we approach it that way? I don't think so. You see, Jesus has already paid the price for all sins on the cross. And salvation is not applied to a sinner until they believe in Jesus. So not everybody is saved just because of what Jesus did. You still need to believe in Him. But the price for all our sins, past, present, future, sins of the whole world, are all paid by Jesus on the cross. So whatever hurt that was done to you, Jesus suffered. Jesus died for it. And we cannot say that's not good enough. The Son of God was punished with torture and death for what that person did to you. And He was also punished with torture and death for what you did to someone else. So the price has been paid. And on top of that, when Jesus comes again and he judges everyone who ever lived, end of the world, second coming, all that, there will be perfect and ultimate justice for all that has ever happened in history. And so this is what we need to trust and believe that God says will happen. So don't look for your own justice. Don't look. Don't don't even put your hope in man's imperfect justice. Sometimes the court systems and all that, or the, the culture or whatever, uh, doesn't exactly give fair justice. But we look towards God's perfect justice. He will satisfy. Let's look at our last character for today. David. Although the focus of this drama at this point seems to have shifted to David's family, David is still part of it. Uh, From what we know, David, uh, although he's a man after God's own heart, doesn't seem to be uh, the the greatest father, (laughs) role model as a father. Uh, He he doesn't seem to discipline his children well. Uh, For example, David knew what Amnon did to Tema, and he was furious about it Bible tells us, but doesn't say anything about what he did about it. So it looks like he was angry and then didn't do anything. David, as the king, was in the position of administering justice. And the penalty for defiling a woman was to marry her, but to defile her against her will was, according to Old Testament law, supposed to result in death by stoning. But Nothing happened to Amnon. He got away scot-free. And so this might be why Absalom waited two years before killing Amnon. Maybe he was waiting for his father to carry out some sort of justice as he's supposed to do, but didn't happen. So he took matters into his own hands. So even though David was a man after God's own heart, he was not without his flaws, not just the Bathsheba incident but even in how he handles his family, his family is messy, it's chaotic. Uh, even before his, his thing with Bathsheba, it began with his taking of many wives, which goes strictly against Old Testament law. And so it is in this sort of home environment that his children are raised, this sort of example that they have, uh, that they grow up. And I wonder if Amnon's behaviour wasn't a reflection of David's choices and actions. When Amnon, because he, as, as he grew up, he would have seen uh, David taking many wives and also uh, taking Bathsheba. Maybe he didn't know the details, but <laughs> uh, may, maybe he heard about it from those who were present or whatever. Lah. But uh, he, he, he would have observed David taking uh, maybe even a wife he was not supposed to have. And so for parents in our midst, our actions, our decisions, especially the, the sinful ones, they tend to impact our children. I remember when I was in Form 3, uh, my teacher chewed me out in front of the whole class for, I think, 20 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes, very long, just totally singled me out, asked me to stand, and then just non-stop chewed me out for something that I wrote in my history paper, a few things that I wrote in my history paper. And I remember, as I'm listening, you know when teachers go, you're like, oh no. I didn't start crying, uh, Form 3 already. But I was thinking... Firstly, I know I'm in trouble, but secondly, I don't know what I did wrong. I'm very confused, okay? Uh, I didn't know what they are right that, that, that deserve this sort of uh, thing. But as the scolding went on and on, eventually I discovered that a whole bunch of what I wrote was incredibly racist. Uh, and I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. Can you guess why? Uh, I was just writing what I had heard uh, adults around me say as I was growing up, uh, adults in my home as well. And I had no clue that what I had learned was the wrong thing until <laughs> this, this uh, super long lecture. La. You may have heard of the term generational sin. Now the Bible is clear that there is no penalty. Uh the, the penalty for our sins is not our children's to bear. Okay, it's ours alone to bear. So we're all individually responsible for our own sins. So there's no uh you know generational curse that oh the the that person uh because I sinned today, so my children uh no choice, they are going to be cursed for it. No. We are responsible for our own actions and our own decisions, but sometimes the sinful patterns in our lives that our children observe in our homes means they pick it up, they emulate our bad habits, sometimes without even knowing that they're wrong, like me, right? And so we need to be careful about how we influence our children in not just the visible areas of our lives, but all areas of our lives. Perhaps David set a great example for his children in his public worship life. Okay, when he danced before the Lord and he brought the ark back into Jerusalem and everything. But it doesn't seem like he set a very good example when it came to the home and the family. And so our behaviours and attitudes can greatly influence others, especially our own children. And whether we choose to set a godly or a sinful example will determine whether we are seen to be an inspiration to emulate or we are seen as a warning to avoid being like that. So in conclusion, I'd like you to know that sin can have messy, long-lasting and far-reaching consequences. And so we need to be careful that we don't play around with sin. Uh, we need to be careful with all kinds of sin. Even if God promises forgiveness, uh, we, we thank Him for that. Okay, He doesn't condemn us. But we won't always be able to undo the messes that we make. So especially those of us who are younger here, uh, you have more runway ahead of you in life. Be careful. Sin can have messy, long-lasting and far-reaching consequences. I'd like you to be a godly example to others in all areas of your life, especially at home. Would you serve as an inspiration rather than a warning? And do offer godly counsel, leave justice to the Lord, trust Him to understand and heal your wounds. Would you find hope for complete justice and complete healing at the cross. Just some questions for us to reflect on or discuss within our small groups or maybe our families. Uh, first question, being very careful not to identify, sorry, in grammar, being very careful not to identify anyone if you are in a group, so don't go and name names or, or give all the details that will single out, oh, it was this person. What sort of consequences of sin have you witnessed despite forgiveness and repentance? Okay, so don't turn this into a people bashing session. Huh? Okay? Uh, but generally, what sort of consequences of sin have you witnessed despite forgiveness and repentance? Second question think about your life at work, church, home, and so on. How can you be more of an inspiration for others instead of a warning? by the example that you set. And thirdly, are there any hurts within you that you need God's healing for? And would you take the time to ask Him for it? Okay, I'll leave these questions with you. Let's pray. Father, we want to remember your grace, your amazing grace, that in spite of the sin that we have done, in spite of the sins that have been done by others, Lord, your grace covers over all. And this is not a cheap grace that is worthless or valueless, but a grace that cost the son of your, the the grace that cost your son the life of your Son, Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to see our circumstances, whether it's the, the guilt we might feel, the condemnation, self-condemnation we might experience, whether it's the pain and hurt, the wounds that we have experienced. Help us to see all this in light of the cross. We pray, Father, that we would experience healing that we need, we will experience forgiveness that we need and that, Lord, you will redeem wherever we, who we are and wherever we are. We ask, Lord, in all the areas that we still struggle, whether with sin or with hurts and pains, Lord, would you, your Holy Spirit, help us be our comforter, be our healer, be our convictor of sin? Be our transformer into the image of Jesus. Thank you that we have hope in you, that you bring new perspective and context to all the, the stuff that happens in this world that is just so horrible. Thank you that you have the final say and that you will deliver ultimate justice. And so we look to you and your wisdom for that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.